0: our current series uh, synergy the power of healthy relationships and right in the very first week mark said that um, synergy means the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts i'm sure we all know that already Um, the bible uh, referring to prayer and spiritual warfare actually puts it something like this it says one can put a 1000 to flight which is brilliant But it says two can put 10,000 to flight. That's the power of synergy. You get more than the sum of the parts. Um, And the church is built out of synergy. The church is built and succeeds out of unity, out of um, healthy relationships. It has to be a healthy relationship because people can be united behind unhealthy things. We know that. But when they're united behind... Uh, healthy things behind godly things, then amazing things can happen and we get synergy where there is unity. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I think as Christians, we sometimes think that actually what it's saying is... uh, the churches, you know, we're all hunkered down in the church and we're behind our gates and we'll be, we, we should somehow manage to hold the gates steady and have that kind of siege mentality. But that's not what it says. It says, we're marching, we're marching and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church that God is building. And that's a church that has synergy. Uh, when true synergy takes place, the effects can be amazing. Um, has anybody ever had to bump start a car. Yeah, bump start, you know, bump start. People, in modern cars, we don't tend to need to do it, but with the old cars, in the olden days, uh, my very first car, uh, when I was 18 years old, was a, uh, it must have been about 20-year-old Vauxhall Chevette back then. I mean, it was a real old banger. It, was a, it cost me £150 and it broke down all the time. And I, and I took it with me to college and it only lasted about six months before it gave up the ghost. In fact, I remember once driving back from Guildford to my college in North London, the accelerator cable snapped and... Um, and so I was on the hard shoulder on the M25, and I think, okay, I don't have breakdown cover, what do I do? And I, eventually I, I opened the bonnet, I took out my shoelaces from both my shoes, tied them together, opened the bonnet, found the lever that the accelerator cable used to tug on, tied my shoelaces to the lever, and I had my hand out the car window, driving along, pulling, the, <laughs> sh- pulling my shoelace to make it go along down the road. At the same journey, my shock absorbers packed in and so I was bouncing along the motorway pulling my shoestring out the car window just to get back back to my home. One thing about the car was when it was cold it wouldn't start and so all the way through that winter the winter of 1991, I had to, every time I parked the car, I had to find a hill to park it at the top of so that I could release the handbrake, you know, bump starting a car, you put it in second gear and you, you, you get some momentum going and then you quickly lift up the clutch, clutch put down the accelerator and the car starts. And, and I would do that, I'd park it at the top of the hill and hopefully by the time I'd got to the bottom of the hill, I was started. If I wasn't, I would find myself in a, in a valley <laughs> Without able to do it. And I'd get out of the car thinking, I'm a man, I'm going to do this alone and try and push my car back up the hill. Um, and I would do this time and time again. Eventually, some guys would come out of their car, they would stop their car, they'd feel sorry for me, and they would, they would kind of help me push up. On my own, there's no chance I can push my car up the hill. Get two or three guys with me, and together we can do it, and my car can start again. Thank goodness. Working alone, I don't ever change. I saw when I was preparing for this message uh, an old African proverb that said if you want to go quickly go alone, if you want to go far go together. If you want to go quickly go alone, if you want to go far go together. We need each other guys, we need each other in the church because we need to go far. So today what I want to do is to talk about um, synergy with God and God's synergy with us, about that relationship and this is by far and away, the most important relationship that we have as believers. So it's important that our relationship with God is based on a healthy footing, It has a healthy foundation, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to continue uh, looking through the story of, of Joseph uh, in just a moment. But first of all, I thought, I'm just going to read you some scriptures. okay? Scriptures that I think kind of uh, sum up God's synergy with us and our synergy with God. You don't need to make notes about these. I'm going to be referring back to these throughout uh, my message this morning. So just sit back, close your eyes if you want. I'm just going to read a load of scriptures and hopefully this will just totally bless you. It blesses me every time I read these as I was preparing for this, I just got blessed. So Matthew 19, 26, for with God, nothing is impossible. Romans 8, 28, for we know that God works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Proverbs 3, 5-6, to Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. John 16, verse 33, I have told you those things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We've just been singing that this morning. Actually say, so many of the songs we sang this morning tie in beautifully with what I'm talking about today and the message that Vlad brought about. God is doing something this morning. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. James 1 verse 2 to 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, amazing. Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race set before us and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Ephesians chapter 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And one more, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That speaks of our unity with God, and and certainly in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, with God, right at the centre. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So it's pretty, pretty clear from a even a cursory glance at Scripture that God is interested in our relationship with Him. God wants a relationship with us. When we get that relationship right, we can expect amazing outcomes. We can expect synergy. So over the last few weeks, we've been following uh, the account of Joseph from the book of Genesis. We all know the story. We've seen the film or we know the musical, Joseph and his amazing technical dream code. And we've seen his journey over the, over the course of 23 years, it is so far we've covered. And we've seen his journey from this young, obnoxious teenager with real issues, kind of winding his brothers up, um, uh, lacking wisdom, and then through a series of Events that were out of his control, um, he's ended up, in our account, as one of the most powerful people in the known world. And uh, I used to read a comic called uh, "Wizard and Chips. I don't know if any of you remember this comic called "Wizard and Chips. And within this comic, there was a uh, comic strip called Good News, Bad News. Anybody remember good news? No. Yeah, good news, bad news, a few nods. And within this uh, comic strip, it would go from frame to frame. uh, uh, They would tell a story, switching from good news to bad news. So it'd have something like, the good news is I got to ride on an aeroplane. The bad news is the aeroplane began to crash. The good news is I had a parachute. The bad news is my parachute didn't open. The good news is I saw a lake below me. The bad news is... I missed the lake. The good news is, I landed on a haystack. The bad news is, I landed on a needle in the haystack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of goes on like this. And every week it would tell a different story in that way, going, flip, flip, switching from good to bad news. And if you look at the story of Joseph, it's just like that. The good news is, um, his dad bought him this amazing coat. The bad news is, his brothers hated him for it. The good news is, he had a dream in which he saw him over his brothers. The bad news is, His brothers decide to kill him. The good news is they change their minds. The bad news is they decide to sell him into slavery instead. The good news is he rises through the ranks of slavery and gets noticed by his boss. The bad news is he also gets noticed by the boss's wife. The good news is he resists the boss's wife's charms. The bad news is he ends up in prison because of it. And it goes on like this, you know, switching from good news to bad news. And uh, we all uh, we have these snapshots of his life, and these unforeseen events happen to all of us. And that's the power of this story of Joseph. It gives us hope because we know that these things, obviously, maybe not slavery and, and prison necessarily, maybe that's, I don't know. Um, but maybe, you know, things happen that are out of our control. And we can have hope because God sees the end of the beginning and we're in his hands. He has overcome. It's amazing. Okay, um, I, I read a story uh, recently of a man walking through the forest and he's uh, listening to the sounds of the birds and hearing and feeling the breeze on his face and hearing the wind through the trees and he's looking at the river running next to him and it's an idyllic uh, kind of situation and he's there, he's humming a tune and he's thinking about how good his life is and suddenly behind him he hears this low ominous growl and he turns around and there's a bear, there, a seven foot grizzly bear and the man freezes and the bear looks at him and then snarls his teeth and starts pounding towards him, pounding towards him, and he's coming at him with his claws out and his teeth bared, ready to set to the man, and he leaps at the man, and at the last second, the man screams out, God help me, and everything stops. Everything freezes, the river stops flowing, the wind stops whistling through the trees, and the birds stop singing, and he hears this voice, yes, (laughs) and the man says, oh, I said, uh, God, help me. And he hears this voice. You haven't spoken to me for years. You've declared yourself an atheist. You've even uh, denied my existence. And now you want me to help you. Sorry, that was a bit Darth Vader. (laughs) Maybe I should stop that. And the man stops and he thinks and he says, yes, God, you're right. I have denied your resistance and it would be hypocritical for me now in this moment kind of to try and get you to help me and then he has an idea and he says, well maybe God you can do something else instead maybe you could make the bear a Christian <laughs> he's thinking if the bear's a Christian then oh, you'll take pity on me maybe and God thinks for him and says, yeah yeah <laughs> I can do that and so everything starts again, the river starts flying, the wind starts blowing through the trees, the birds are whistling again and the bear stops in midair and goes down on his knees and puts his hand together and says, For what I am about to receive. <laughs> I like that one too. We never quite know when those bears are going to come out of the forest. We don't know when unforeseen, uncontrollable circumstances are going to hit us. And things do come out of the blue. Maybe it's the exam results you've received this week. Maybe it wasn't what you were expecting. Maybe they're laying people off at work and you're just not sure about your job. Or you've been made redundant and it just wasn't what you were expecting. Maybe it's an illness for you or your family. It wasn't what you were expecting. There's a bear there. Maybe you've fallen out with somebody, with a neighbour or with somebody in your family and you just feel like, actually, I'm just out of control in this situation and I don't know what to do. And these things happen in life and we need to be prepared to handle them in the right way. John sixteen thirty three. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Psalm 16, 8, I keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. When these troubles hit us, we need to be in a right and healthy relationship with God. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he directs your path. And we can learn so much from looking at Joseph's account. He was a master at rolling with those punches at taking these seemingly negative circumstances of his life and spinning them around and seeing them turn into positives. And he did this right through to the end of his life because because I think he had synergy with God. He had the right relationship with God. He kept the right perspective. And one of the last sentences that we read that Joseph uh, makes, we find at the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50, we're not quite there yet in the account, but I'm just going to skip there uh, briefly. Um, the father Jacob has died and the brothers think Joseph's now going to take vengeance on us. Joseph's now going to have, you know, he's been kind to us all these years, but now, but now dad's dead. He's now going to come down hard on us. And Joseph um, uh, does something. And the brothers throw themselves at Joseph's feet again. And actually, I was looking at this, it's kind of really interesting. They they actually bow down before him on five separate occasions. And that's to make fulfilling the dream that Joseph had all those years ago. And I wonder if they the brothers ever saw the irony that the path they took because of Joseph's dreams, you know, selling him into slavery, was the path that eventually made them fulfill the dreams. It's ironic and anyway so they come they, they fall before Joseph and they're like going, have mercy on us and Joseph makes this tremendous statement he says am I in the place of God am I in the place of God and that's really the right question for all of us in any circumstance am I in the place of God whenever those bears come out of the forest whenever those circumstances hit us that we didn't know about am I in the place of God and if If God is in control, if we acknowledge that God is in control, then what is my role in this circumstance? Isn't it my role to worry? Is it my role to get angry at life or to get angry at someone? Is it my role to try and get uh, vengeance or to hold on to hatred? Is it my role to try and control all the various outcomes? Or maybe you take it to the other extreme and you think, well, if God's in control, then it's my role to do nothing. I'm just going to sit here and wait for God to do what he's going to do. God's going to do it all. And we look at Joseph and we see actually he didn't take any of these. He didn't do any of these things. That's not the role that he took. He didn't let anger overwhelm him. And he also didn't sit around and wait for God to fulfill his prophetic dream. In every situation that Joseph found himself in, he used what God had given him. He acknowledged God as, as Lord and he just got on with what God had given him to be doing, got on with the task in hand. And um, God can use any situation. So uh, as Joseph says, am I in the place of God? What you intended for harm, God intended for for good. And in any situation, in any circumstance, God can switch it round for good. Romans 8, 28, again. This was the very first scripture that Mark gave us on that first week. For we know that God works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And those two words together, together works together, actually are the Greek word synergia, from which we get our word synergy. God synergizes all things, good things and bad things, and turns them into good. Only God can do that. It may not look like it right now, but God's hand is on your life. God's hand is on our lives. And the truth is, we are not in the place of God. That is not our role. We can't see the end from the beginning. What we can do is use what God has given us and we can see impossible situations turn around. For with God, nothing is impossible. And this is a great scripture, Um, but actually I think we sometimes misquote this scripture. I think we sing it in in bad ways sometimes. I think we think of it as, for God, nothing is impossible. For God, you know, everything is possible for God. But actually what, what Jesus says is, with God, nothing is impossible. That little word there, with, is this word para, or para, from which we get the words parallel. It kind of means alongside, or beside, or next to. It's, it's run things together. Or we have the word parable, which is a story that goes alongside a message. Or um, uh, paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. And in a para, it just means alongside. So what it's saying is, when we are working alongside God, nothing is impossible. When we are in that healthy relationship with God, nothing is impossible. God wants to partner with us to accomplish the impossible just like he did in Joseph's life. How are we doing? Great. I've got three points, three outcomes that I want us to just uh, talk about that come about from from this synergy, from this healthy relationship that we can have uh, with God. Uh, First outcome is um, it helps us forgive and forget offences against us. The second outcome is it helps us to take a long view perspective on our life and the third point is, uh, third outcome of synergy with God, it helps us to step up at just the right moments. So, uh, where we're up to in the story then, the brothers have come to Egypt and they've taken their first lot of grain back to Canaan and uh, the money has been returned to them. Deborah preached on this last week and about the brother's response to this and if you didn't hear it then please listen to the podcast it was a fantastic message I wasn't here last Sunday but as soon as I could I picked up the podcast I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and had to listen to the message it was excellent really really good I would recommend you um, have a listen to that um, so now uh, the brothers run out and the, and the family runs out of food in Canaan again so they have to come back to Egypt this time they bring their brother Benjamin with them just like Joseph has told them to And just once again, they're before Joseph and he recognises them, but they don't recognise him. They don't know who he is, but he knows who they is. And whereas the brothers have carried this deed with them for 23 years, this deed that they did, Joseph has uh, learned to let it go. And he sees his brothers and he feels a huge swell of emotion. But the emotion isn't anger or need for revenge. The emotion is love. It's love. And we know he's let go of the offences because in a previous chapter, this is like 10 years earlier, Joseph and his wife have given birth to two children, two boys, and he names them Ephraim and Manasseh. And he, uh, in, the, in the account, he tells us why he names them this. He names the first son uh, Ephraim or Ephraim um, because he says, um, because God helped me forget all my trouble with my father's household because God helped me forget. And he names his second son Manasseh, and he says, because God has made me fruitful in the the land of my suffering. He's made him fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, God won't necessarily bring you out of suffering. Again, we sang it this morning, brilliantly, Cornerstone, um, Christ alone, Cornerstone. It says, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. It doesn't say, outside of the storm, he's going to lift us up every time. No, no, no. Through the storm, in the storm, God is with us and he is Lord, he is Lord of all. And God doesn't, doesn't always necessarily bring us out of suffering, but you can bet if your relationship is right with him, he can make you fruitful in that place of your affliction. He can do this. I've shared it before about my, uh, my hearing. Uh, most of you know I wear hearing aids and I have quite severe hearing loss. And I went to a healing conference in America and I was sure my, uh, my hearing was going to get healed. But the first day of the conference, even before I went to it, I was reading this passage and it just jumped out at me. God said, I have made you fruitful in your, in your affliction. And he started me thinking, okay, yeah, I'm a worship leader here. I, I lecture in music and you know, God's made me a musician despite everything. He's made me fruitful in my affliction. And that's a good place to come to, acknowledging that I'm not in the place of God. He will do what he will do, but through it all, he can make me fruitful, whatever happens. Uh, James 1, uh, verses 2 to 4 it uh, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. When we're facing trials, we can be absolutely assured that we are being made into something better. We're being matured, we're being made complete. And through it, when we get to the end, we're going to be lacking nothing, because he is in the place of God. Now Deborah reminded us last week that uh, blood is thicker than water and the family relationships are so important. And we know that hurts and battles inside families are not unusual. Um, There's a saying that people closest to you can hurt you the most. And that is so true in Joseph's case. Uh, Put your hand up if you have any brothers and sisters here. Okay, leave them up if you've never had an argument or a fight with your brother or sister. Wow. Fantastic. I, 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 I There's a couple of you there. Brilliant. Most of us would freely admit, including myself, that we fought long and hard with our <laughs> brothers and sisters. Um, and now... I get on really well with my brothers and sisters now. I have two of each, two brothers and two sisters, two older and two younger as well. Um, But there was a time when we were younger, we would go at it. We would really kind of, uh, particularly in long car journeys, you know what that's like. And and you'd fight and argue all the time about everything. Now we just play golf and take it out on the golf course. Now, (laughs) I love playing golf with my younger brother Dom. He's 12 years younger than me, and he's actually a better golfer than I am. But the last few times I have beaten him. Yes. Um, now he's a he's a senior pastor of a church down in Dorset, and I've worked out how to beat him. I've worked it if I start talking to him about his church, it throws his game. <laughs> so we get to the we get to the eighth tee, and he's winning. And I'll just say something like, "So, what struggles are you having in your church at the moment, Dom?" <laughs> It's like, (laughs) and then he starts. He's he's kind of neck goes red, and he starts to uh, vent it all out, and it throws him. So, yeah, (laughs) Dom, if you're listening to this, sorry, mate. (laughs) And I see it in my own family too. My own kids, kind of often going at each other, often having these conflicts that really siblings have a lot. We just got back from our holiday to Sweden, and we had a brilliant time. But, you know, there was lots of times where we were stuck in a car or in in a vehicle and, you know, the kids just go at each other and it wears you down. Um, And everybody else's family always looks so much better behaved. (laughs) Maybe they are, I don't know. Um, And then I was looking at this, way. I was looking at our photos that I took in Sweden and there was this uh, great picture. And it's all my five children, all that sat there, sat around a campfire, toasting bread and sausages and, and marshmallows, having a nice time together. And it all looks cosy and idyllic, doesn't it? And eating and chatting together they are. Seconds before this, if you could have been there, you would have seen one of them uh, kind of... uh, getting cross in frustration at the ants that were eating him because he only had flip-flops on. You've got one screaming because of all the spiders that were around. You've got one who's dropped their lunch on the floor in the dirt. You've got one who's just been burned by a marshmallow. And you've got one holding their head in their hands and weeping uncontrollably. That's me, by the way. And maybe people looking at Joseph's family wouldn't have seen the dysfunction wouldn't have seen the problems in it because you know you kind of hide that stuff from other people. Yeah, Thankfully we have it in scripture so we can, we can learn from it. Um, and despite all these issues and this family dysfunction, Joseph was able to release his offence. He was able to forgive and he was able to forget because his perspective was on God, because he had that synergy with God, he had that right relationship. And he saw how God was using, or he had hope that God was using the situation he was in for his glory. So that's the first point then. God, when we have synergy with him, helps us to forgive and forget um, the offences against us. My second point is, uh, when we have uh, that right relationship, it helps us to focus or gives us perspective on the long view of life. So in this 20 odd years between Joseph having his dream and seeing the dreams come to pass, You might forgive him if he got a little bit dejected, if he was getting a bit miserable and losing his faith, losing his relationship, but he doesn't. Um, His relationship with God endure throughout this time. Um, Scripture tells us again and again in this account, it says, uh, the Lord was with Joseph, or the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. When he was a slave in Potiphar's house, it says the Lord was with him. When he was in prison wrongfully, it says, the Lord was with him. When he comes before Pharaoh, it's actually Pharaoh who makes a statement. He says, um, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? We see the Lord was with him. And that statement, the Lord is with him, is not just a statement about God. It's not just a statement about God just saying, oh, I'm just going to pick you randomly and walk with you. It's a, it's a statement about a duality about uh, synergy, um, God being with Joseph, and Joseph walking with God. Whenever this phrase is used in scripture, it's used again for uh, David, for Abraham, for King Hezekiah, for uh, Enoch, and for Noah. This passage, uh, the Lord was with him, is used. But it always implies a, a duality of relationship, a walking together um, and uh, uh, somebody walking with God and walking with them. So Joseph was able to remain faithful to God because he kept his focus on the long view rather than on his circumstance. And at some point, we all need to learn the necessity of taking a long view on things. Uh, we, we go through education and we remain in education because we know it'll give us more options later on. We, we save money now so that we get financial security later Uh, we kind of try and keep ourselves healthy now and fit now so that we'll have a um, kind of a a better more healthy life later and our perspective of the future impacts our decisions in the present now my mother certainly my mom she had a a long-term perspective about me growing up when she would stand over me um, with the wooden spoon, I wouldn't do that now, but you know, making me do my piano practice and my trumpet practice. And you know, kind of quite harsh. But actually, her perspective was far further than mine was. At the time, I was like, Mom, I want to go out and play. My my friends are all outside playing on their bikes and playing with the football. I want to go out there too. Yeah, you've got to do your practice first, son. You've got to get through, and boy, am I glad. Boy, am I glad that she had that (laughs) long-term perspective. Mom, if you're listening to this, I'm never going to say this again, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and now with our own children, we make decisions that might make them unhappy now because we know it will give them a better long-term. They don't, they don't see it, but as parents, we have to see it. And um, I heard a story, again, I think it's quite a well-known story, of a man coming, uh, coming up to a construction site and seeing three builders working. And he walks up to the first builder who's looking a bit grumpy and he says to him, what are you doing? And the man says, "Um, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. So he goes up to the second builder and he says, well, what are you doing? And the man a little bit more politely says, well, I am just building this wall here. And then he goes up to the third man and the third man is whistling and smiling and he's kind of having a nice time. He's gently you know, knocking up little bits of stone and crafting the blocks and setting them and looking back and kind of shaping it. And the man asks him, what are you doing? And the builder stands up and looks to the sky and says, I'm building a cathedral. Three men doing the same job but with three different outlooks. One of them has that long-term perspective. He sees what he's building And uh, Jesus says, I'm building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's our long-term perspective. We're partnering with him in building a kingdom that can't be shaken. That's worth having the long-term view about. 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We don't see the whole thing right now. We can't, we're not in the place of God, but we can trust that he does. And we can trust that then, when we get to that day, it's all gonna make a bit more sense. And then 2 Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So even in the toughest circumstances that we face in life now, if we can keep our eyes fixed on eternity, on our eternal destiny then that far outweighs any of these troubles that we're kind of sitting in that seem so hard right now and I know they are hard and that's where keeping that long term perspective will help us to keep going we keep our eyes fixed not on what is seen but on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal so in this chapter Joseph is confronted by his brothers again and we can see that he doesn't completely trust them yet okay he's forgiven them of what they've done, but he needs to know that they have changed. He knows if I'm going to have a relationship with these guys, i got to know that they have changed from what they used to be all those years ago. And so he puts a little test uh, in front of them to see if they've been changed. Now, this must have been hard for Joseph. You can sense from the passage that he wants to reveal himself to them. He keeps having to leave the room to cry because he just wants to say, I'm your brother, it's me. But he sees the long term. He knows if I get this right now, then we'll benefit this in years To come so he comes up with his plan to give them grain but take his his favorite silver cup and he puts it in one of their sacks in Benjamin's sack in fact and they all go off on their way um, uh, back to Canaan Um, and then Joseph sends his steward after them to accuse them of stealing his cup so we come to Genesis 44 uh, verse 7 he says uh, but they said to him Uh, to the steward this is, why does my Lord say such things, far be it from your servants to do anything like that? We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave, the rest of you will be free from blame. And I just read this and I just found this so interesting. And I think this is a picture of of the difference between how we see sin and how God sees our sin. We see it from the first perspective. Actually, our sins deserve death. And we look at other people, oh, their sins are terrible. There needs to be judgment. There needs to be punishment for their sins because they've done the wrong thing. The wages of sin is death. Come on, God, strike them down. Whereas I think God sees it from this second perspective. He says, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. And Joseph makes the same statement. He says, only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. Only the man who was found to have the cup will pay the penalty. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. This is such a picture of Jesus. We know what the cup represents. Jesus himself said, take this cup of suffering from me, referring to his death on the cross. And the father says, only the man who takes that cup is going to pay the penalty. The rest of you, come to your Father in peace. Come, you're free. You don't need to pay the price again. It's being paid. Only the one who took the cup is paying the price. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. What a type of Christ. 1,500 to 2,000 years before Jesus did what he did. Amazing. So, um... We know that the one who took the cup of suffering did it so we don't have to. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Now we know that Jesus, when he was on the earth, he kept in mind the long view uh, for his years. Um, He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, for that long-term perspective, he was willing to go through the torment and the stuff that he went through. And we need to do the same. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the long term, on the long view, on our eternity. And this helps us face what we need to in the present. So we need to keep a long view, but we need to also be ready to step up at just the right moment. This is my third and final point. And for this last point, we're going to move away from Joseph um, uh, now. And we know that Joseph... When he came before Pharaoh, when he was told that Pharaoh had a dream, he was ready to step up. He had made himself ready. He'd been waiting all these years. And now he was ready in that moment to come and uh, be the person that Pharaoh needed and that God had called him to be. But there's somebody else in the account who does the same thing. Um, And it's now uh, Judah's turn to step up in the story and become the person he's called to be. Now, up to this point in the story, Judah has been lumped with all the brothers. There is, in uh, one of the chapters of his, a a, a small reference to Judah, but again, he messes up a little bit in this other story too. But all the time, Judah is lumped with his brothers. But in this chapter, in chapter 44, suddenly Judah uh, steps uh, forward. And we know that Judah eventually becomes the one to carry on uh, the mantle, if you like. God has chosen him out of all the 12 brothers uh, to become uh, the, the uh, not the firstborn, but the one with all the blessing. Even though he wasn't the firstborn, he was fourth in line. Reuben was the firstborn. Even though he wasn't the one with power or, or, or um, authority, that was Joseph. God had called Judah. And I wonder if all this, all this account of Joseph, all this stuff that Joseph had come through, actually was really getting Judah to this moment, where he has to make a choice. Judah now has to make a choice whether he's going to step into the calling that God has called him to and be the person that God has called him to. Because out of Judah, we're going to get King David and we're going to get Jesus. Okay, Judah's eventually going to become its own nation. Uh, And I think it all starts in this moment when Judah steps up. He steps to the plate and he's ready uh, uh, to to, uh, fulfill his calling. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to sum them up. So Joseph, has brought, they brought Benjamin back and he's accused Benjamin of stealing the cup. Um, uh, and he says that Benjamin's got to stay behind as the slave. Um, but Judah steps forward and starts to explain the situation with Jacob, the father. And, and he explains with humility and with patience. And he finishes with this. He says, so now, if this boy, if Benjamin isn't with us when I go back to um, your servant, my father, If my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, see that the boy isn't there, he's going to die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, and this is so beautiful. This is such a a great piece of scripture here. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that that would come on my father. Now in the musical, Joseph and his amazing technical, A Dreamcoat, maybe some of you know it, there's a song at this point. uh, It's called The Benjamin Calypso. It's, oh no, not he. How you can accuse him is a mystery. Save him, take me. Benjamin is straighter than the tall palm tree. Yes, yeah, and singing along. Thank you. Um, I'm here. I'm preaching. I'm yeah, so we've got, and and all the while, this this uh, this story is talking about uh, Benjamin's innocence, but that's not what Judah does. Judah has no idea if Benjamin is innocent or not. All he knows is they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. So Judah is not referring to Benjamin's merits or his innocence at all. I think Judah probably thinks, oh, maybe he is guilty. And, and it's appeal not based on, on Benjamin, but a, based on Judah's love for Benjamin and his father. Band, would you mind just coming up, please? And isn't this a great picture of Jesus again? right here? Romans 5:8, uh, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Sorry. Christ died for us, while we were still sinners, when we were guilty. Christ died for us. He didn't do what he did because he thought we deserved it. He didn't do what we did because he thought we were innocent. He did it because he knew we were guilty. And he did it because he loved us and he loved his father. Just like uh, Judah did. The thing that compelled Judah was his love. And Joseph sees his love for his brother. He sees that there has been a change. This is a defining moment for Judah uh, in this account. And Judah steps up and decides to become the descendant and the type of Jesus who would come millennia later. When we are in synergy with God, when we're in that right and healthy relationship, opportunities are going to come. Opportunities are going to come, maybe when we don't expect them, and we need to be able to recognise them and be willing, which is the thing, willing to step up, even when it's uncomfortable, no matter how difficult they are. And this is our calling, to step up, to step up. And that's for stepping up for you might mean, I don't know, putting a relationship right with somebody that you know. It may mean, I don't know, just simply as getting, joining a team at church. It might mean you're sitting there maybe thinking that your marriage is not all it could be. Step up. Do the marriage course. Do the marriage course, guys. If you know your marriage isn't all it can be, come along, invest in it. It will change, I assure you. It can get better. Change your perspective. Have a long-term view. Put things in place now that will make things better in the future. We can overcome because He is the overcomer. Because He will overcome. Ephesians 4, finally. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace live a life worthy of your calling you all have a calling live a life worthy of that we're just going to sing that passage again all my troubles all my tears God our hope he has overcome thank you let's stand together